Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. We're going to spend the rest of this hour with an old friend who has been with us many times in the past. Sean O'Connell is usually here to talk movies. He's a longtime Charlotte film critic on television, in print. He's also the managing editor of Cinema Blend, a website about all things filmed. Uh, he does a podcast you name it. As the business of movies has changed, though, so did Sean and his career track. He found himself exploring other aspects of film, and he wrote several books, the latest of which is With Great Power, which chronicles the rise of Spider-Man to box office supremacy and how comic books that influenced movies are now experiencing the influence of movies. We're going to talk about that and more in the time remaining, uh, and that will also include a little discussion of the Oscars on Sunday. Sean O'Connell, welcome back. Good to be with you, Mike. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Long before you got into this business, every major daily, some television stations had film critics. Even the Today Show had a film critic. Many wrote about more than just plot synopses and, and reviews. They wrote criticism. They knew every nuance of a movie, and they pointed it out. Almost all of them are gone now. Sure. Cinema Blend sure. is one of the waning few places left where you can read uh, educated criticism uh, about about movies. What have we lost as a result? A sense of history. Uh, the, the newer generation of writers, uh, because of their youth, um, haven't seen nearly as much, uh, and their their sense of history goes back to maybe the 1990s. Uh, and everything prior to that is how maybe we once considered the films of the 40s and 50s. And of course, that's just the the nature and evolution of it. I don't think you get as many people who come into this line of work wanting to truly consume as much film as possible. Uh, they're very happy to go to the new films and maybe react to whatever is out there, but don't want to take the time. Like when I grew up, I, I just absorbed as many films as I possibly could. I lived in video stores. I, I frequented blockbusters and I watched everything possible. I don't get the sense that people who are doing it nowadays have that love and passion. Um, I think they would rather, and some of it's the audience. Sometimes you just want to do a bite-size, you know, two-minute YouTube video, or God forbid, a 30-second TikTok that gives you my, you know, quick reaction of it. And that yeah. deep analysis isn't there anymore. Well, there's also, a through, to having that knowledge, there is a through line, even though it's mm -hmm. not readily apparent, from movies from the very beginning to today. And an understanding of that through line may inform what you've seen uh, to mm -hmm. a great degree and what you think about it. Like so many industries, uh, this industry was impacted severely by COVID. It was profound. Uh, films began to be released to streaming services. People got used to watching them on their TV sets at home. Uh, many movie chains shuttered theaters. It's happened here. Has that stopped? Are moviegoers going back to theaters? For some things, sure. Uh, and, and this is what we thought was going to happen, is that the, the blockbusters would be reserved for the multiplex. Um, and so through the, the likes of Avatar, which broke a number of box office records when it came out in December, uh, Black Panther before that, these franchise pictures are still drawing. Um, now, just this past week, uh, Creed 3 ended up uh, winning the box office and, you know, made the most of any film in the franchise. And if you look in, ahead to March, uh, the breadth of originality 
We have Shazam, a sequel, John Wick 4, Scream 6. Uh, this is what's going to the theaters. And then that mid-budget, you know, uh, the dramas that used to fill the, the cinemas, the other screens, they're now available on streaming services. Well, does that, does that mean that the people going to the theaters are all 15? No, I don't think that that's fair. I think that, that I think adults also like these sequels, especially something like the John Wick franchise, you know, which has its has its fans. What happens with that, though, Mike, I think which is interesting is that the first weekend is front loaded. You know, it's all the fans who want to see that movie. Films don't have legs the way they used to, although Avatar recently just did. James Cameron's in a, in a world all of his own. His audience keeps returning. But you'll see these films. Ant-Man and the Wasp most recently had a 65 percent drop week over week over week until the point where it just bled itself dry. So that's wow. been an interesting phenomenon. You, uh, I, I know you love superhero movies. You've written a couple of books uh, centering on various aspects of films like that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I, first, I want to talk about a TV show. I can't mm -hmm. believe I'm going to talk about a TV series, but it's on HBO Max. It's called The Last of Us. Sure. I'm watching it. I love it. It was based, I didn't know this until I got into it, but it was based on a game a video game mm -hmm. and the makers of this series are being very meticulous about recreating that game sometimes shot for shot sure. uh, yes. in terms of how it looks on television why is that important to the people who know the game that that's exactly the same camera angle that we get in the game of the lead character in this situation for last of us in particular that audience holds that material in very high regard. So if you're going to adapt it, do it right, right? But but they also wanted to bring the story to people like you who didn't even know that the game existed right. and, and realized they had a very compelling narrative with two extremely strong characters that you want to follow through this world. The zombie apocalypse story has been done a million times. But when you give us characters that we can emotionally invest in, which The Last of Us did, you can bring it over to another medium and HBO Max will give you the budget to recreate it properly. And then, yes, of course, when you see certain scenes from the game that are recreated the right way as a fan, you get giddy. Uh, I didn't play the game all the way through. I played a couple, you know, played it for a few hours, essentially. Um, so I'm in uncharted territory moving forward and I can't wait to see where it goes. But if you have a series of movies that are based on superhero comics, and we've had a ton of them, and now you've got a TV show based on a video game, mm -hmm. something has fundamentally changed, hasn't it? In what way? In the fact that original storytelling doesn't no, exist the, that much or, anymore? Or the source material has changed for, for movies. Oh, sure. I, I mean, I think the better adaptations take, take the material and interpret it different ways. Uh, you know, you can do if you compare, let's say, the Christopher Reeve Superman to the Henry Cavill Superman, you know, they're the same character, quote unquote, but they're told in very different ways. Um, Batman is another character who has been repeatedly uh, interpreted. James Bond has been repeatedly interpreted. And the way that those films connect to the original novels is completely different. So I think it's interesting when you see creative people come up to the 
through the process. And and if they latch onto something like Last of Us as an example and have a fresh take on how to do it, that maybe reflects on where we are as a society because that changes also. Um, I think that that leads to really interesting storytelling. One of the things about your career that has changed over time is some of the things that you're actually involved in. You're becoming a, you've become a published author of two or three books now, and you're going around the country not to interview movie stars like you used to. You're going around the country to sign books for those who will be, be in L.A. on March 18th and 19th. You can stop by and visit Sean at the new Beverly Cinema in Los Angeles, pen in hand. What is that experience like to be a book, a book author signing books? It's surreal. Um, and it's really great. Uh, I got to do one in Charlotte over at the um, Independent Picture House, which is a great new venue. Um, and, and to look out into the auditorium and just see, here's what's cool. Uh, you see half the people who you know, who you guilted into coming. And then you have another <laughs> half of people who you've never met before who legitimately like your writing. And that's still really strange. Well, so. I read a fanboy rave review of your latest book yesterday. This guy oh, wow. loves this book. And the, the book is called With Great Power, How Spider-Man Conquered Hollywood During the Golden Age of Comic Book Blockbusters. So, so I don't have to read the book. How did it? <laughs> uh, it, I thought it did really well. I thought the book did really great. I thought it came around at a perfect time. I got really lucky in the sense that because like you, like we've been saying, these comic book movies over the past 20 years have helped keep the theatrical industry going. Um, you know, you're not going to get Top Gun Maverick every year, but you are going to get four or five superhero films that are going to pack the theaters. And I thought the Spider-Man franchise was one that that did particularly well. And then it, it culminated in this film, Spider-Man No Way Home, which had the three Spider-Man actors from, from three different generations coming together under one film, you know, to tie all of it together into one big bow. And then here's this book that, that tells you exactly how we got to this point. So, Well, maybe that's the secret, because one of the reviews of your book, one of the reviewers said that one reason for the popularity of Spider-Man, and Spider-Man turns out to be the most popular superhero in the world, uh, is that once you put on the costume, anyone can be Spider-Man. So Spider-Man becomes every man. But isn't that true of Batman? He puts the bat costume on and he's not Bruce Wayne anymore. Isn't it true of Superman when he takes off the Clark Kent glasses? Yes, but Spider-Man was one of the first heroes and, and still is to this day where his entire face and body is covered. With Batman, you at least see the jowl. Mm -hmm. um, with Superman, yes, he removes the glasses, but he's still a muscular white guy. In interviewing people for the course of the Spider-Man book, I spoke to Latin, uh, Latinos, I spoke to Asian American folk who said growing up, they never had a superhero who looked like them. So they could dress up as Spider-Man and feel exactly like they were the character. And I never thought of the character from that perspective of why he's so globally successful. Once the mask is on, anyone can be Spider-Man. And the comic itself tapped into that when it introduced the character of Miles Morales, who is a Hispanic Puerto Rican uh, kid from Brooklyn who also got the powers of Spider-Man. And now kids these days who are growing up, their Spider-Man is Miles Morales. It's not Peter Parker anymore. And mm. I thought that that was a fascinating evolution of the character. If you look back at the original Spider-Man comic books uh, by Stan Lee, how has the character changed? How has it been informed by the performances of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland? And how has those folks influenced the new books coming out? 
So the new books coming out really try to evolve the character to a point where he's married and he's gone through, you know, larger problems that you would have in your life. But the, the genesis of Spider-Man and what has always made him uh, popular is that he's relatable. Like he's the kid from uh, Queens, New York, who got bit by a spider, but still has all the problems of a teenager. And Stan Lee tells this amazing story that when he pitched the character to his publishers, they said, uh, this is terrible. You can't go ahead with this because no one likes spiders. And nobody wants to read a book about a teenager who has regular problems. But that's exactly what we eventually wanted to see in this character. We wanted to see either someone who looked like us, you know, or had the same sort of issues we're going through, or that we at least saw somebody that we knew and loved in the character. He's always got money problems. He's always got girl problems. Um, he frequently doesn't want to put on the costume and go fight crime because <laughs> he'd rather go have a social life or some such thing. That's what I think we would all do. You know, Superman is an alien. Harry Potter was born a wizard. This kid just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think that that recurring theme in his stories over decades is what keeps audiences coming back. The 95th Annual Academy Awards are on Sunday. How important are these awards still to the industry, to actors and actresses, to directors, to production companies, to theater goers, to movie goers? I mean, that depends who you ask. The industry still cares a lot. And it's hard to dismiss a, a ceremony like this that is going to hopefully shine a really bright light on a film like uh, everything everywhere all at once, which probably flew under the radar for far too many people um, and is going to, you know, beat out Top Gun Maverick, you know, or Avatar or all of these studio pictures that have a lot of money behind them. But if you ask Joe and Jane public, if they're even going to watch uh, five minutes of this telecast coming up on Sunday, I'm, I'm sure they would all tell you no, because the the structure of award shows is is broken. It doesn't fit the the attention span of today's society. Yeah. Uh, the, the joke, this could have been an email, applies to every awards <laughs> telecast. Just tell us who the winners are. Yeah, you know? and there, yes, and there are too many of them. So very quickly, I think you've already told me the winner you think is going to win. But the nominees for, I think, Best Picture are All's Quiet, All Quiet on the Western Front, which I saw. I loved it. Avatar, The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, mm -hmm. which I also saw, Elvis, which I also saw, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I'm still puzzling over, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, which I'd never heard of, and Women <laughs> Talking. So of those movies, which is the winner? Well, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once is the juggernaut. The only thing that I could see happening is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, there's a preferential weight to the ballot that if enough people put your movie at number two, uh, you gain enough points that you could pull off an upset, right? So if Tar gets a, a bunch of number one slots or Women Talking gets a bunch of number one slots, but then all those people put Top Gun Maverick at two because that movie really did save the theatrical industry and brought a lot of people back to theaters who hadn't gone back to theaters in years upon years. That those people might want to, the people in the industry might want to reward the movie for doing that. That's the only possible upset that I see coming. And once again, a Steven Spielberg is ignored it's almost like they, he's taken for granted, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's just Steven Spielberg. How often do we have to honor him? And yet, you know, I think The Fablemans is it's absolutely one of his most personal films to date. Right. Um, but I think it's I think it's flawed and he'll probably have another amazing film next year. It's like 
oh, this is his best movie since West Side Story, which came out a year ago. <laughs> so know? we have a minute. We have a minute left. Best actor, Austin Butler for Elvis. He was remarkable. Colin Farrell, the Banshees of Inisherin, uh, Brendan Fraser, the whale, Paul Mescal, uh, After Sun, and Bill Nye, Living. Pick one. I haven't seen a better performance on screen last year than Brendan Fraser in The Whale. And I think that he really? deserves to win. Yes, he was tremendous. It might be Austin Butler, but I think it should be Brendan Fraser. Okay. And it, for Best Actress, we have Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough into Leslie, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Even if you didn't like Everything Everywhere, Michelle Yeoh gives the performance of that film. She's fantastic. Um, Kate Blanchett is probably going to win, but again, how often do we have to recognize how great Kate Blanchett is? <laughs> and finally, you've already picked Best Picture as uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Does that win Best Director? I believe so. Yeah. The only thing going against the Daniels is that this is only their second film. And the Directors and the, Guild might want to say, you guys have plenty of time. And the Academy just called. They want to know if you'll be watching because they have to have at least one person watching on set. Will you be watching? I have to, unfortunately, okay. for my job. <laughs> Sean O'Connell, managing editor of Cinema Blend, the author of With Great Power and another recent book called Release the Snyder Cut. That's a conversation for another whole hour. Uh, Sean, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.